Welcome. You're listening to But Seriously, What is Engineering? With me, Katiki Gupta. This is a podcast series from the University of Queensland that explores all corners of engineering. Today we talk to two mining engineers, Negan Beaton and Martin Robertham, who tell us how a mining career can be your ticket to adventure in remote, rugged locations in Australia and abroad. Welcome to you both. So Martin, you said you've got 35 years of experience in the mining industry. Tell us about your career journey through the mines. It's been a long journey, uh, starting off in the mines in uh, South Africa. I moved around there studying over there and back in the UK, consulting all over the world, really, in different industries before ultimately joining a mining house and getting involved in technical support and advice to uh, a broad range of industries and a broad range of commodities. I'm currently with Rio Tinto, uh, leading a surface mining team, looking at things like hydrogeology, geotechnical engineering, tailings engineering, and again, all engineering, and including mining engineering. So I guess the big thing for me with mining, it's not just mining engineering, it's all aspects of engineering which come together to deliver the metals and things that we use every day in our lives. So you mentioned globally. I'm keen to hear about how your career has taken you around the world. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I started off in the UK from Wales originally, studied in London, and there wasn't a whole heap of work around initially. So having looked at opportunities back then, it was a case of, well, in those days, go to Africa or become an accountant. And I've never really fancied numbers in accounting. So I started off my journey in what would have been 1985, moving to South Africa. Worked there for a couple of years and then went back to the UK to expand my horizons. I started off in geology and then went back into engineering. Then I joined a consulting group and got involved in more and more overseas work. So I think once you get that bug and know you're able to travel, it just bites and you keep on going. So after um, consulting in Venezuela, Indonesia, I met a bunch of international mining contacts. And funnily enough, I was away traveling and I came back and my wife said, you've had two calls. One's, one's you in Canada, one, one's you in, in, in Indonesia, what do you want to do? So we ended up uh, moving over to Australia of all places. And then uh, still with consulting, moved around different places. So currently my portfolio is, covers Mongolia, Chile, Canada, the US and parts of Australia. But obviously getting involved in other consulting projects internally or due diligence projects all over the world. So um, if you like to travel, you like adventure, it's a good place to be in mining. And you've done all this traveling with your family. Started off just with me. And then um, my wife was also, she was in exploration. So it was quite nice to have somebody who understood and appreciated what you did and was also keen to travel. And then when we moved over to Australia, we had kids. I kept traveling here using this as a home base. So I didn't get involved in fly in, fly out, although some people would argue I travel as much as most five, four people do. And then we had the kids here. Then I was transferred to America for a period. And the kids had a great time over there, and we really enjoyed ourselves in a large copper mine in Utah. And then I came back here for a global role based in Australia, which currently is interesting with COVID impacts being uh, not traveling so much. A lot more use of WebExes, teleconferencing facilities, Zoom, all sorts of things. The world's changed a little with travel, but hopefully it'll come back to uh, its old self or a semblance of it next year. We'll see how we go. We are living the new norm, aren't we? How do mm-hmm. you feel not traveling, seeing that you've traveled so much around the world and you've kind of had to stay put for a little while? It's interesting because uh, you do make a lot of good connections with people. And I think most industries is all around the people you meet and what you can learn from them, what they can learn from you. 
But I think when you've been forced to do something, like with COVID, you just can't travel. I haven't really thought too much. Even today, I've been on calls for four or five hours with various, with Canada, with the US. Yeah, it's different, but it's not a bad different either. Getting back on a plane might be hard. We'll see how we go. It's uh, nice to hear that your career Mm. has taken you around the world and you've been able to see so many different places um, with your family. Mm -hmm. Megan, I'm keen to hear from you. Why mining and who or what really was your inspiration? Yeah, I do get that question a lot as a female in mining um, and the resources industry. So firstly, huge family influence. My father's an engineer. A lot of males in particular in my family are engineers. So I've always had that aptitude for uh, in my upbringing for the maths, the applied science and problem solving, logical thinking. So engineering was always a path for me. But mining was um, introduced to me as a year 10 student in high school. So I grew up in Wollongong which is dotted with underground coal mines, the steelworks. Like you grow up knowing this is your main industry. And so it was pretty exciting to be able to contribute to something that was huge to our where I grew up. And it was actually a high school outreach visit in year 10 to my school by a fourth year mining engineering student from the local university who just opened up my eyes to the world of mining. And it was also a tour of an underground coal mine in Wollongong that really cemented that decision that it was just appreciating the the enormity of the operation, um, you know, debunking the pick and axe myths of what an underground coal mine would be would be like. It's, you know, there's roads and traffic lights and huge vehicles down there. And knowing that you're mining this resource to send to the steelworks and then get it ready for the sh- like shipping to overseas to make steel and other everyday products. So just fully appreciating that full full cycle and knowing that it could take me traveling like Martin touched on. Even though I haven't been too global yet, I have seen a lot of Australia that I would never have seen in any other career and just a diversity of engineering career options. So from site work, which I absolutely loved getting my hands dirty and seeing my designs implemented in the pit to consulting in the city and now running a a diversity program through the University um, Women in Engineering program to really bring it full circle of my passion for engineering and getting more females in the industry. Fantastic. So it sounds like you made your decision in year 10 that you were going to be a mining engineer and that's great to hear. When you started your career, Negan, you would have been one of the few females or may I say one of the only females in the industry. Tell us a bit more about that. I did go in knowing that it uh, would, there wouldn't be many females, you know, in considering mining and the resources industry. And I was one of two females in my university cohort that started through back in 2006. And then it was my, in second year, I did a work placement in Biloela, central Queensland. And that really brought to light that I was one of the only female engineers. There was a lot of other females. There was female operators, there was geologists, there was, you know, admin HR roles. There was was a lot of females on site, which was great to see. But in terms of the tech services, core engineering roles, yes, I was the only one. It was never an issue. It I was always supported, um, treated like everyone else and respected as an engineer, which was great. I have had a very positive experience. But yes, it was very interesting to see that and a lot of people aren't prepared to be like don't know that that they might be one of few females but you know I followed my passion I knew I was capable and loved 
love that site work and could contribute with my engineering skills in the mines. Yeah, it definitely changed over the years. So about 10 years of site um, work experience and slowly seeing more and more females come through, more and more come through to university. So by the time I was in my final year, I was mentoring first year students and there was sort of five five to ten students by then, not, you know, just being one of two. So that was good to see. Slow changes, but definitely in the positive. And now, you know, in this role as, as well through Women in Engineering, I, I get to share these stories of very successful women in the resources industry, and that's just great to, to showcase that and for other people in resources to know that we've got each other and there is a fantastic female network of connections so to, to support you. That's great to hear, Negan, and you're right. You're absolutely right. The industry is evolving and there are more and more females entering the industry, um, especially mining industry as well. So over to you, Martin, now. As Negan mentioned, there has been a shift in the last 10 years even. There's more and more female engineers now. You've got 35 years of experience. What changes have you seen in the industry in terms of diversity, I guess, both engineering and mining specifically? Yeah, it's interesting to hear Negan speak because um, her career start was a little different to mine. I started off in in university in London, and I think we had uh, maybe 4 or 5% females at best. My first vacation job was in a tin mine in Cornwall in southwest England, where it was deemed unlucky for women to be underground. So a lot of the male operators just didn't want females around at all. I moved then to South Africa underground, where it was illegal for women to be underground. So times have changed a little. So I guess being involved with women engineering and catching up with you guys, it's, it's quite tremendous. And it's, it's my focus is that diversity of thinking, which females and other nationalities bring to solve a problem. And I think that's that, that richness of experience and experiences is what makes mining so interesting because the challenges are everywhere. And as we keep saying, it's not only, I think many people think mining engineers that just run around with a pick and a shovel and blowing things up, but any form of engineering comes through to contribute to a, a, a much greater good in terms of not only doing the right mining, but doing the right rehabilitation and closure afterwards as well. I've had 35 years of fun so far. We'll see where it goes next. Okay, so let's talk smart minds and artificial intelligence. So I read an article the other day uh, which stated that machines now will work autonomously to a predetermined plan and they'll be able to process data themselves and really be connected to the end user. Uh, So here's a question for you both. What does the future of mining look like? Well, I think from a safety perspective, a lot less people. And I think a lot of what's driving innovation in a lot of mining areas is that removing of people from the coal face or from the working face. So... Many mines in Sweden, underground mines, are almost completely autonomous. Uh, Many of the major mining houses, including Rio, are running autonomous trucking at the moment. So I think, and also data centers, uh, for our processing centers, we can now look at and analyze data from multiple businesses all over the world for the benefit of other businesses. So I think it'll be a lot lot less people, very technologically driven. Again, it'll require a mindset change because... Um, the engineer of, of now that's important in terms of a mine might be the same engineer you need in the future. Maybe now it's more mechatronics, electrical, computational than your more hands-on, physical, mechanical engineers. So I think it is changing now, but there's still a long way to go. So you say a lot less people. Does that mean fewer mining engineers in the workplace? or I think a lot less people at the face. It's difficult. I started off in geology and engineering, so 
geologists are passionate about being at the wall, looking at the rocks and collecting data. And that remains important. But now by using sensing techniques, can we get the same quality of information from remote? Because unfortunately, there still are injuries and fatalities in the mining industry. Whether you're working near a, a large coal rock face or an underground mine face, you have some exposure. So I think not so much less people, but it'll be similar amounts of people doing different styles of work. And I guess studying engineering will give you that skills to have that diversity in the work. I'd agree. And I think um, we talked before about, you know, the dirty mining environment and this, that and the other. That's also going to change. And hopefully that'll help attract more engineers from all sorts of areas to what is a really challenging, interesting problem-solving career. Negan, when, just before we started this conversation, um, you mentioned mentor-mentee relationships. Have you had a mentor who has helped you progress through your career in mining? Yeah, I think um, mentors are a definitely valuable part of um, what has been part of my professional and personal development through my mining career journey. I've had a few, you know, circumstances change in your life. I have moved around different mine sites, which is, you know, encouraged and, and you know, helps build up your skill set. But probably my longest mentor and the one that's been through a, a few of those changes with me is a, is a male mining engineer mentor, which I think it's really important to have that perspective as well, especially from him being so supportive of m- me being a female in this industry and wanting the best for me. So yeah, that, that network, that connection with him through the years has been very supportive of all the decisions I've made, including completely changing sort of career paths recently, moving to the city with my young family um, working part-time between us, uh, mining consulting firm and the women in engineering program. But yeah, he was very integral. The, a critical part of my career was um, being at a mine site for about six years it was, which is quite a long time for where I was at in my career. Um, I was a mine production engineer and it is a time where you do move around a bit and diversify your skill set. And I, and I did. I got stuck a bit in that role. Um, I did get promoted to the senior role while I was there, which was great, but he also identified a ceiling above my head. He knew that if I stayed where I was, I wouldn't be able to move up or progress at that particular mine site. So even though uh, we were at the same mine at the time, so even though I was obviously an invaluable member of the tech services team, he actually encouraged me to spread my wings and move on and it was, it's a scary step to move on where you do become comfortable for a long time and you know you're contributing um, to the mine. He encouraged that and that completely changed the last few years of my career. I think it's really nice with engineers as you progress in your career to be not that coal mining engineer, not that person who knows iron ore mining really well, but the person who's seen lots of different mines, different environments, whether it's academia or operations, you just bring more to the party later on. And again, I think as engineers, we all think of ourselves as problem solvers. If you've seen more problems, you'll probably help solve more problems the same way. So I think that's great what you've done. Thanks, Martin. Yeah, I went from a, you know, all I knew really was drill and blast engineering. So the whole blowing stuff up was my forte, but then got to move to a consulting role where one of my first projects was pit optimization for a metals mine in Cambodia. I would never have thought that's what I would be working on. So that's really exciting for for an engineer, so to be part of that. Yeah, fantastic, Negan. And that diversity of career parts that you've taken is just phenomenal. And I guess mentors really help you see the best in you. I did want to add about the um, female connections I touched on before. Um, besides that, 
really critical male mentor in my life. The network of women in mining and other females in the resources industry has also really been um, important throughout my career. Just to know there's a lot of us out there and we're all there to support each other. And there's some amazing women in leadership in mining that are doing great things. So quite inspiring um, to look up to, to know that, yes, you can have a fantastic work-life balance and still make a huge contribution to the resources industry. Thanks, Megan. So let's rewind back to when you were a high school student. What did you wish you had known about studying a mining engineering degree? Um, I know you, you mentioned before that you had decided in year 10 you wanted to be a mining engineer, but is there anything else you wanted to know about the mining industry? I think we do need to prepare students for the reality. Yes, I grew up with mining in my backyard. I grew up with a family of engineers, but for someone that might not have those influences or that exposure, but is possibly interested in resources after listening to this podcast, it would be more just that expectation, setting like a reality of what to expect. So yes, you might be one of few females, you know, hopefully you're okay with that. But uh, if we can share these rewarding stories, if I heard more rewarding stories about females that have done it ahead of me, just to know that you know, either positive and or negative experiences. So we can learn from that and learn about the challenges and how we can uh, make a change for for the better for everyone. So just that more of that, not misleading them, I guess, or not misleading a future student that it it is still struggling with a gender balance in the industry, but there's a lot of support and a lot of work going into improving that. I would have liked to have known that. Um, So I wasn't shocked that I was one of two females in a class of sort of 30 males in my first year of engineering. You will be very well supported. You Uh, There hasn't been too many instances where, for any reason, I've been singled out because I was a female in the tech services team, that I was just one of the engineers like everyone else. So having that mindset that knowing what to expect, but sharing more rewarding positive stories that should inspire and um, promote the industry in a better light. You you just mentioned that you were well supported in your tech services team. Did you also feel well supported at university when you were one of just two females in your cohort? I absolutely love the mining community at university. I think it's um, it's still there, actually. I'm seeing it now through this current role, the the mining society. There are great cohort. They're well supported by industry. You know, the other girl in the class was first in the class. I was second. So we did really well in our class. And um, yeah, I think the guys really enjoyed having some some females. Finally, I went on exchange in third year to Canada. There were a lot more females in the mining cohorts at UBC, University of British Columbia, compared to where I was at Wollongong. But even so, they had two Australian exchange students that, that semester that year. And both of us were females from Australia. So how (laughs) lucky did they get? Um, So that was great. And I think we really, um, you know, shared that true Aussie spirit and really made made that memorable semester for everyone. (laughs) But yeah, so it is what you make of it. You know, you you become a society in your mining group or other engineering societies or other things you're interested in at university. So it was never an issue that I was one of two females in my cohort at all. And if anything, I got to pass that on to when I started to mentor the first years that came in when I was in my final year. So yeah, it was a great way to pass on the support that I was rece- that I had received as well. And you mentioned going on exchange. Tell us a bit more about that. You mean, I mean, you got to meet more females um, at UBC. So h- how did that feel? Uh, it was great. It was great to, it was my first time out of home. I 
lived at home through the four years of university, going to the local university. So um, thanks, mum and dad. But yeah, it was it was time to spread my wings and go overseas. I was 19 years old at the time. I you know, got to travel, which is, that was that travel bag that I was excited about to get into engineering and more so mining engineering, knowing that it is a global industry and it can take me places. So seeing mines in Canada was great. Um, networking and connecting with people in Canada, um, that's part of expanding your networks and having these connections for life because it is a small world. Mm. The connections you make, even as a first-year engineering student or on exchange in Canada, are, are with you for life. So it was just great to see to really put in practice, I guess, the the global part of the mining that I wanted to be and I want to be part of and I still have, you know, many years ahead of me to be part of it. So, yeah. yeah. And do you still keep in touch with your uh, friends from Canada? Yeah, definitely. A few of them have come to Australia to work. So that was a great way to um, see each other again once we graduated from university. I travelled back a few years ago with my husband he actually knew how special this place was to me in this exchange that he decided that was where he was going to propose. So that was amazing. <laughs> Lovely. Um, yeah, so we're still in touch. So some of them have come over here. When I travelled over there, I met up with some of my friends again and we just keep on connecting and, and just supporting each other through all these amazing careers we've all, we've all had post-university. Yeah, great to have those connections um, globally and um, that support network, really fantastic. Okay, so we've reached the end of the episode, but before we go, we have a tiny segment called Fast Facts in which we get to know you both a little better with some fast questions. Are you ready? Let's do it. What's the one fact that listeners wouldn't know about you? I'm a martial arts black belt. <laughs> My name actually means the gemstone ruby in Iranian. Oh. Which is probably... Wow. How fitting for the mining career. Which is right? probably where it all stemmed from. A little gem. Yeah. What is one advice you would give to your younger self? Don't be afraid of a challenge. Yeah, similar, just endless possibilities and those doors of opportunities. Don't ever be afraid to, to open that door and just see what's next. And last one, if you had to choose a piece of music that would best describe you, what would that be? Tom Jones, The Green Green Grass of Home, because <laughs> I come from Wales. <laughs> um, I have no idea who that is. Mm. Um, <laughs> you can see there's a bit of a generation gap. <laughs> just a touch. I would like to say that... You know, I was an avid Triple J, Hottest 100 listener, did all my votes every year. And now I have a two-year-old, so a lot of my music is more like audiobooks. Give us a song. Geared. Which song, though? At the moment, it's Thomas the Tank Engine's theme song. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I'm a big national fan with my husband and Alt-J. Thank you. Thanks for sharing those. If you're enjoying this podcast, make sure you like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget to leave a review. It'll help others to find the series. My name is Katiki Gupta. <laughs>